and welcome to Making the Lemonade with Abby Brown and Lottie Trick. A positive news podcast proving that when life gives you lemons, there's always an opportunity to make lemonade. So Lottie, how are you? How's your week been? It's been good. We've been uh, battling with a little bit of snow here in London. How about you? Yeah, the snow is getting a bit too much now. I mean, when it snows once, you kind of, you're excited, you make your snowballs, made a giant snowman in the garden, that was fun. And then the second time around, I just thought, oh, I'm over this. Rugby training isn't quite the same with the, the ice on the floor. I don't think that at all. Um, you will be glad to know that I did do some research after nice. our stories last week. Um, I tried to find out more information about the pizza. <laughs> this is the pizza saga that still <laughs> continues. The pizza investigation, which continues. So the only thing I was able to find out was there were six pizzas and we were working with a pepperoni meat feast chicken veggie barbecue and margarita so you've covered all bases really haven't you and and two garlic breads and that's it that's all i that's all you've got that's That's the detail yeah and i think that's the detail people really wanted (laughs) what is on the on those pizzas and they have covered all bases to be fair you have to in that situation. Yeah, you've got to cater to it. I did actually have a look, and um, they did say something about Domino's giving out free pizzas to frontline staff as well. Really? Yeah. As a so. result of this story, or is that just going to be No, separate? if I'm honest, I think Marketing it's completely campaign. separate. But play. It'd be nice yeah. if it was inspired by that. Yeah, well, let's make it up. Let's say it is. Let's <laughs> say it is. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Guilty until pro- proven, isn't it? Guilty until proven innocent. No. Innocent is still proven guilty. <laughs> I'm not sure uh, that even really works, but yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, innocent till proven guilty. My bad. <laughs> um, and did you do any other investigation for last week's stories? Do you know what? I didn't. Well, that's okay, Abby, <laughs> because I did. <laughs> do you know why I didn't? It's because I just knew. You were my investigator. Sure. You were the you were the woman for the job. Sure. So I contacted our mutual friend Emily. Nice. Um, who is um, who is a senior land specialist about the parks story? Because I tried. I that to... you contacted someone that's in the business. Like you actually. Oh, kind I'm of... not. If I'm yeah, I'm, I'm not doing a task. Off. I'm doing it properly. Yeah. So, hence why I left it. To yeah, you. <laughs> there you go. Lovely delegation. So, I was doing some research to find out if what qualified a park, and I couldn't quite. I was looking for more sort of a 10 minute quick research, and I look, it looked like I really needed to get into it. So, I thought, <laughs> I know who I can ask Emily. So, what she kind of came back telling me was I think what makes a park a park is that the local authority, so the councils, will maintain the land. So any size of green space can be a park, but as long as it's owned or maintained by the council. Um, And there is a map that shows you all of those spaces, uh, if anybody is interested. So I don't think size, it's to do with the maintenance. Huh. Yeah, I guess so. Because it would need looking after, wouldn't it? Yeah. So it doesn't matter how big it could be. Yeah, and then I went down a bit of a hole and there's kind of this, um, there's a park in Oregon and then there's a park somewhere in the UK and they kind of have a tussle over which is 
who has the smallest official park. It's a whole God. thing. So you God, can really you get really down. Done your research on this. Yeah, you can get down a bit of a rabbit hole if yeah. you want to. Maybe it's one to visit to see how small it really is. Sure. Or is it not sure. that interesting? It's probably just a creepy I mean, it's maybe more of sort of a quick little tour than maybe <laughs> just a whole trip centred around it, especially if you're going to Oregon in the US. <laughs> So we have obviously been hard at work digging out those positive stories. Um, Abigail, what do you have for us this week? Sri Lankan government has actually provided free period products to all schoolgirls. Koshala Dilrukshi, who is a teacher out there who teaches English, says that most girls don't actually go into school when they have their periods. Uh, this is through fear of staining, any pain and like discomfort that they actually get. So the UNICEF study did a study in 2015 and said that more than half the, half of these girls didn't want to go to school or weren't allowed to, with 37% of girls missing one or two days each month. Um, and obviously that is huge, especially at a young age and a difficult age as well to be, you're a school girl and you're going through something that is, if you don't have the proper equipment or you're not educated with it, it's kind of a, a trickier time. Um, there are 4.2 million girls and women menstruating in Sri Lanka, but only 30% have access to tampons and pads, which is just mind blowing. Um, so, but luckily their government are going to provide free and eco-friendly, but also locally made pads to about 800,000 schoolgirls, um, prioritising poor areas first, um, with the aim to build toilet facilities in 2,500 schools and hopefully transforming girls' learning and actually getting them back into schools and making them feel comfortable with having a period that is obviously natural, completely natural. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also a bit around it about the poor menstrual hygiene practice that can kind of lead to health conditions, including cervical cancer, and which actually in Sri Lankan women is the second most common cancer. Also the Araka Initiative, who provide tangible and practical support to men and women, on issues surrounding sexual and reproductive health has already begun a program by visiting communities, holding discussion sessions to discuss periods and everything else that comes with it. And just educating, educating these girls that. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask because I think so much of it. And when you're saying that some, some girls are even kept home because there's a cultural stigma around bleeding and it's seen as something that should be, hidden and it's shameful even you know contradictory to any biological um facts so that's great to know that there's um actual discussions being held to try to shift that because that mindset shift is really so fundamental to the success of this isn't it as well as as well as having access to the products it's all about the education piece of it and how they can kind of help and support women and girls in that country um but also on a, another positive note scotland back in november actually were the first country in the world to make all period products free for everyone for all yeah that's amazing all, isn't it? like amazing and i it's just yeah you read all these kind of stuff about it and actually it's so natural and the fact that there was an mp um so monica lennon is a labor msp was have been campaigning this since 2016 and she stated periods don't stop for pandemics and the work to improve access to essential tampons pads and reusables has never been more important 
I think it's so true. It's just kind of the, the fight that she has been obviously campaigning and fighting for this period free product bill to go through um, is huge. And to make that legal is, is awesome. Definitely. And, and period poverty is also very real in the UK and statistics have shown students, girls in secondary schools not going to school um, because of their periods or not being, not having the sanitary wear and teachers having to buy them stuff. So that kind of policy change in this country is so vital and hopefully we'll be moving to um, a time where that will be the case for us as well. So I don't know if you've seen the headlines this week, but it was announced that IKEA's investment group, the Inca Group, has acquired approximately 10,000 acres in Georgia, USA. So they bought this from the Conservation Fund, um, and it has said that the forest land was sold to the group due to the company's proven responsible forest management and will be managed by Inca Investments, the investment arm of the group. Um, the CEO of the Conservation Fund has said, we are honoured to be working with the Inca Group and applaud its dedication to preserve and enhance forest quality in the US and Europe. Well-managed forests provide essential benefits, including clean water and important wildlife habitat, as well as mitigating climate change, said Larry Seltzer. So as part of the purchasing agreement, IKEA will have to prevent land fragmentation, restore certain tree species and protect various animal habitats in the area, which is located near Al Tamaha River Basin. Um, they will particularly be looking to protect the longleaf pine tree and the gopher tortoise, which will be a focus of conservation efforts. In total, there are 350 species of wildlife throughout the land. Um, Lots of species to look after. Exactly. And this is kind of comes after IKEA have previously announced its plan to become carbon neutral by 2030 um, and has adopted a series of initiatives meant to make the company more climate friendly, including phasing out all single use plastic items offered in customer and co-worker restaurants. Um, so the group itself, which also owns forest land in four different European countries, um, has planted 600,000 seedlings in the USA between September 2019 and August 2020. Um, and the managing director of the Inca Investments Group has said, we are committed to managing our forests sustainably while at the same time meeting our business objectives. In all our properties, we pay special attention to ensuring environmental protection. So we are happy to see that our efforts in working with responsible forest management are being seen and trusted. So my next story is quite a wholesome story. Um, Eric Schwann, I think that's how you say his name, um, passed away last month, has actually left £2 million to a little village in the south of France. Uh, this village or not necessarily the exact family obviously um kept him safe through world war ii um but also kept him and his family away from the nazis uh he arrived there in 1943 with his family i think it was his parents and his grandparents and they previously held in river salts camp which is a mil military facility in the south of france um this small village actually protected different Jewish families in obviously what was an awful time and became known through a human rights group 
and word of mouth as a hub of the resistance movement, with ordinary residents taking in and hiding those who fled. Um, apparently, Eric was a very discreet gentleman and he didn't want this kind of going public, but about his gesture of gratitude, but obviously it's something that you cannot mention. Um, so the mayor of this village actually said that the money will be used to fund education and youth initiatives. Amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Did he live there for the rest of his life or? Yeah, so he married um, and then I think he moved to Lyon after that. Um, but his family then kind of stayed there and kind of made a new home for themselves. How many plastic bottles we use in the UK every year? I don't know if I want to know. <laughs> I'll tell you quickly. Uh, 7.7 billion. Billion? In the UK alone. So that seems like a kind of, when I read those kind of numbers, it just seems humongous and I can't quite fathom it. So to put that into perspective, that's 150 bottles per person per year on average. Um, so many bottles and so easy to think like I've got my reusable water bottle so that can't be me but if you start to think like bleach for the loo and you know spray for the kitchen worktop suddenly those plastic bottles really do start to mount up so yes don't worry the story does get better but I'm just giving some uh, context yeah. <laughs> um, so alongside like a national push an international push some might say to dramatically reduce waste um, new innovations are arising um, around the world that might have some really profound effects on the future of our planet and one of those is that of Nzambi Mati of uh, Kenya so she is a materials engineer and she is taking plastic waste, which can no longer be processed at recycling centers and turning the material into durable building bricks. The bricks, which are um, said to be five to seven times stronger than concrete, are made from a mix of different kinds of plastic, like those that you might find in milk and shampoo bottles, are those that are used for bags for cereals or sandwiches um, to those that are used for ropes um, and flip top lids and buckets and things like that. The plastic waste is then mixed with sand, heated and then compressed into bricks which are sold um, at, very, at varying prices depending on thickness and colour for example. Um, the factory produces 1,500 bricks a day on average um, and Mati her, um, has said that her factory has recycled over 20 tons of plastic waste since its founding in 2017 um, and she has huge plans for the future and hopes to add another bigger production line that could triple capacity so a huge step for plastic waste recycling and innovation and although that we should all be looking to reduce our plastic waste considerably there is a huge amount that already exists on this planet and if we can do something with it um, and reuse it in a really sustainable way that can make a huge difference um, so really exciting stuff so i've actually got a story that is similar on the kind of climate change esque as you will mm. um renewable energy surpasses fossil fuels as the eu's main source of electricity wow. now when i first read that i was like 
really like how have we done this especially you kind of hear all of need to change this need to change that but actually like you said we are doing bits and there are people out there trying hard to, to kind of overcome this climate change in every kind of possible way that they can um but it said that an annual tracking power report has revealed that renewable energy has delivered 38 percent of total electricity in 2020 and it just just goes ahead of the 37 percent of generated fossil fuels helping in the fight for an eco-friendly future now obviously that doesn't sound a lot and obviously it's only one percent above it but actually it's a huge milestone and where where it has been and where obviously we can get to way more but actually it's a like we said it's the step in the right direction um so electricity emissions have been dropping over the past five years and have become a lot cleaner since 2015 the changes are largely due to the growing capacity of solar and wind power coal power has also dropped to a record low of 13 percent of electricity produced in europe which obviously as us being in Europe is kind of a nice thing that it's happening over here, but um, are, we, are we in Europe anymore? Well, that's, that's a statement <laughs> at the moment, isn't it? That's a good, good question. Let's Heart, not talk about it. That's heartbreaking. That's a yeah, heartbreaking. One for, one for another day, I think. <laughs> I wonder if that um, we would have encountered in that though during the. Yeah, do you know what? I think maybe. I wonder if we're still counted as it, which is not in the EU. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Tell you what, Abs. Tell us next time. Yeah, I'll do some digging. <laughs> um, Europe is relying on the wind and solar to ensure that we phase out of coal, phase out of gas generation, and also meet rising electricity demand from electric cars, heat pumps, and electrolyzers. Uh, the EU last month actually committed to a new climate new climate change target, including to cut out greenhouse emissions by fifty five percent by twenty thirty mm-hmm. from the levels they were at in nineteen ninety. And even the US revealed energy sources delivered more power than coal in their country for the first time since 1885. So over the world, we are doing bits. Um, we're trying, we're trying. We're trying, exactly. Um, and even with Joe Biden coming into to office is rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, and, you know, the small steps, still a long way to go, but small steps are happening. And I think we're trying. And I do, do think more recently than not, I've seen a lot of people change their kind of way of living as well a little bit. And actually, if everyone does a little bit, I think we'll be better off. There you go. There's your quote. There's your quote. Statement, Abby Brown, 2020. Oh, no, 2021. Yeah, stunning. Stunning. There you go. You know you told us the story about the two women who found the wild cat. There are two men, but yeah, go on. Oh, I was <laughs> listening. I'm so sorry. Um, two gentlemen found the cat in Scotland. Um, you got a Scotland I, story for me? I'm not a Scotland story. I'm so sorry. But... I was going to put one in, but I thought better not. <laughs> um, and I don't think I'm the only person that thought, really, I feel like you would know that was a wild cat. And it turns out that they're not the only people who have made that mistake. So, in fact, Florencia Lobo from Argentina went on a walk with her brother in the Tucumán province and saw two kittens that were sadly sat um, next to a dead adult who they assumed to be the mother. 
they decided to rescue the kittens um, and take them home, assuming that it was an abandoned cat who had given birth. Sadly, one of the kittens was too weak and didn't actually survive. But the second one, named Toto, survived and Lobo took him to the vets after two months for a checkup and was greeted by the vet's confusion, claiming it was not a normal cat but couldn't quite place their finger on what species the cat actually was. The vet suggested Lobo take the cat to Okomoye Nature Reserve, where staffers confirmed that the cat was a Jagurundi or Hagwarundi. Um, not completely sure how to say that. Um, a small wild cat found in South America um, and Southern North America. After his breed was confirmed, Tito was then homed at the nature reserve. So I actually did finish my story by telling you where the cat now lives, which I think was missing from yours. Yeah, that's fair enough. Mine, I think mine did just go into the world, but we'll, uh, that's an Abby Brown ending to the story. <laughs> but another wild cat. Yeah. What are the chances? I know. What are the chances? <laughs> very slim, but... <laughs> So have you seen all the Bernie Saunders stuff, all the memes and funny jokes about him? Oh yeah, from the inauguration. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually has been jumping on the, his own meme bandwagon, as it were, and has nearly earned £2 million for Vermont Charities, um, which is the senator's state home state. Mm-hmm. Um, he's basically been selling merchandise of himself with obviously these mittens on. Um but it's really cool because he's helped organisations like Meals on Wheels and Feeding Chitterden, as well as groups supporting the elderly in Vermont. Um, he said that Jane and I were amazed by all the creativity shown by so many people over the last week. We're glad we can use my internet fame to help Vermonters in need. Aww. I just thought, as if he's jumping on the bandwagon, that's lovely. How matter? Um, that's so lovely. One woman actually sold a crochet, crocheted? Crocheted? Crocheted. <laughs> is that like a like a fabric doll? Is that what it is? Mm. Yeah. Almost like s- knitting. Yeah. Um, but guess how much she sold it for? Um, five hundred dollars. Twenty thousand three hundred. Good lord. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Um, but donated all of it to Meals on Wheels America as well. Wow. But yeah, that is a lot of money. Um, I mean, that's but a down just... payment on a house. <laughs> Yeah, very true. But yeah, it's been going mad. But it also reminded me of all the memes and stuff, of the whole sea shanty stuff that we spoke about last week. Oh. I've literally non-stop seen that on TikTok. What, the sea shanties or the... Yeah. Really? Sea shanty stuff. Ever since you mentioned it, all over TikTok, I've been seeing it. I've been seeing all these memes about Bernie Saunders. It's going wild for it. Yeah. Fantastic. Lovely story. Yeah. Um, So this was a really interesting story that I saw on the BBC, but also on um, positivenews.com. So for the first time in its history, the Muslim Council of Britain, the UK's largest and most diverse umbrella body of mosques, Islamic schools and Muslim associations, has elected its first female leader. Zara Mohammed, who won the majority of votes, is a master's graduate in human rights law and is working as a training and development consultant. She has formerly served as an assistant secretary general for the Muslim Council of Britain. Upon her election, she said, my vision is to continue to build a truly inclusive, diverse and representative body. 
one which is driven by the needs of British Muslims for the common good. Being elected as the first female Secretary General is quite an honour and I hoped it will inspire more women and young people to come forward to take on leadership roles. They are the future of this organisation and our society. Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, tweeted that Ms Mohammed's appointment was terrific, saying, I wish the very best of success to Zara Mohammed. May she continue to lead this organisation to greater heights for the betterment of our communities across the country. It's credit to her and the hard work she's obviously doing, so it's cool. Definitely. And that's all for episode three of Making the Lemonade. We're still going, we're still here. Um, and thank you so much for listening. If you want to learn more about any of the stories, you can find them in the show notes um, of the episodes. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening. And hopefully we've brought a little bit of light in your, to your day. And don't forget to subscribe. Tell all your friends and family and we'll check you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.